welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to different people, both inside the hospitality industry and also the people supplying the hospitality industry and how COVID-19 has affected the actual industry itself. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. These conversations have been fantastic for me to record the last week. Uh, And I think you're going to get a lot out of it, no matter what part you have to play in the industry itself. Uh, Always remember as well, in the link of this bio, you can actually send me a message, a recorded message in question that I can use in the podcast further on sponsor over the next couple of episodes. Uh, Make sure that you enjoy responsibly. And obviously, it's an over 18s drink as well. So make sure you keep that in mind too. Make sure you listen to the end of the episode as well just for a little treat that we might have in mind. Uh, Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's amazing to have you on and listening, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, Fantastic as we go through COVID-19 the last couple of months to have uh, guests on who are really killing it uh, across the world, and I've uh, wanted to have the next guest on for a long time because I've admired his work for the last couple of years. So it's fantastic to have the CEO and co-founder or founder of Bluestone Lane, Nicholas Stone. Hey, Nick, how are you? Thank you. Welcome. Um, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the interest in the in the Bluestone Lane story. It's definitely a different one post-COVID. Yeah, most um, definitely. <laughs> I think killing it was uh, pre-COVID. I, I don't know. Uh, right now not uh just avoiding being killed is the, yeah. the name of the game yeah most definitely. but um yeah we've had a good run we've been very fortunate to uh have a lot of amazing locals have an incredible team and yeah it's been a fascinating journey for someone who's never worked in hospitality before and uh you know a rote learning experience but mm. a great one and uh you know i think it's something that we've brought an authentically australian experience hospitality experience and scaled it in the u.s and i'm something i'm very proud of because uh you know the hospitality experience the coffee experience uh that we know i missed dearly when i moved to the states back in uh 2010 yeah so so let's talk about that because obviously uh bluestone lane is an australian inspired cafe um group that that sits in america um it's um fantastic um, and you just said that you don't, you didn't come from the industry before this. So, for the few people who don't know about Bluestone Lane and what what you've built, Nick, do you want to just give a bit of a synopsis of how you built the brand and where you came from before? Yeah, sure, sure. So I I ended up in New York in a late uh, late 2010. I was going to business school over there as a way to find my way to New York to follow my girlfriend now wife who was working in New York and my ultimate dream of of working in Wall Street or mm. working in in the Man, in Manhattan and when I was studying over there I couldn't believe how different the coffee culture was um, the consumption of coffee was huge but it was really focused on a transaction it was it was mm. very much about serving customers right mm-hmm. it was about convenience and speed it was very very different from what we know in Australia where we are locals 
Yeah, there's yes. a reciprocal relationship. You go to your local, they know your name, face and order. And because of that tenure of relationship and investment, it's reciprocal. You know the barista or the proprietor and the proprietor knows you. And mm-hmm. that was very, very different from the way it was in New York. New York, it was very much about, uh, it was a more commoditized transaction, not an experience. And even though they, they had examples in retail where they had these very intimate social reciprocal relationships mm. it was just more at their wash and fold place or their manny and petty place or yes. you know maybe their local bar but it wasn't in it wasn't in coffee it wasn't in cafe it wasn't a social ritual um mm. like we know it and from there i just became from that sort of customer centricity i became an absolute student of the industry and uh, i leveraged my background in in uh, banking investment banking corporate finance and in sports, playing footy, and mm-hmm. you know, I played AFL for six years mm-hmm. to develop a proposition that I think that could have scaled, and but very unbridled with with no preconceptions or rules. I could do it exactly how I wanted as a customer, and then look at all the all the components, disaggregate them, and try and do it in a way that I thought would would work in the US and enable us to grow. Yeah. Um, so the first store launched in, I went to business school in 2010, banking until I started Bluestone in mid-2013. Right. And we grew it to 12 locations when I went full-time CEO in mid-2016. And from that date to now, you know, we've opened, and that was at 12 locations, we've opened uh, 42. So we mm. now, um, you know, we've opened over... I think we've opened 56 stores. We currently have 52 yep. across eight markets. So, yeah, it's been crazy, fascinating, colourful, exhilarating, challenging, frustrating, brilliant mm. adventure. Uh, and, you know, I could talk about, you know, to, to cover all the, all the machinations. Uh, <laughs> we needed a few hours and, and probably best over a beer or a glass of wine. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, we're... We're here now, and now we're dealing with the uh, the reality of COVID. But you know, very proud to basically have the largest Australian hospitality export uh, in the US. Yeah, yeah, so. it's incredible. Um, I was just going to ask you as you as you told the story there. You you said you took three years to become the full time CEO. Why why was that the case? Because that's often what that's often the opposite of what we here in this kind of space is that most people will sort of promote themselves into that straight away and you've taken some patience and some time to actually obviously make sure the stores are right before you became full-time CEO. There's two sort of key ones. The first one was I wanted to, I'm not the biggest believer in entrepreneurs going all in, um, giving it all up to go for it. Like, I think that there's a balance between being reckless in your mm. risk taking and being measured and intelligent. And yeah. with me, I felt that I didn't really need to go all in. I also felt like if I went full time where it was a small, very small business and given my sort of my mission, like I love improving things and pushing them and trying to achieve and high high standard myself and those I work with, Mm. I thought like it's probably not the best move. 
I might yeah. go in there and try and push it too hard and it's not it's not really natural. Um, mm -hmm. So what I what I decided to do was to be more measured and patient and um, hence hence the being more to do and we had sufficient revenue where we could raise invest you know a, a more substantial amount of investor capital to take it to the next level yeah yeah was it was it always a because of your banking background and finance background was it always a point that you wanted to scale the brand like when you opened the first store was was were you always going to be in in growth stage and scale stage or do you just want to see how it was going to go first and prove the model out I think it, when it started, it was to, to get, we opened two stores quite quickly and then there, which were coffee shops, one in Midtown East in, on, uh, in Manhattan and one in the financial district next to Wall Street. And then I think we always viewed the third being a cafe, which would be more um, holistic representation of the cafe scene with a bigger, much bigger food program. So um, I think, I always knew the potential to grow and access capital to to build a lifestyle brand was there. But, mm -hmm. you know, we started more conservatively to begin with. Um, but, you know, we opened two in four months and then right. we had the third, the third open within sort of 12 months. So we had three in 12 months. And then it was, but it was the third when we did our first cafe that really provided a lot of, encouragement and mm. gave us confidence that this could be something really special you know it was we couldn't handle the volume um we you know we didn't have really any money to build something and we hardly even had air conditioning to begin with so it was um it was wild you know and and we had everyone under the sun walking in and it was it was an incredible credible journey um yeah. and uh you know a lot of learnings but then from there, I just, you know, we just were very lucky. Like the first sort of maybe six stores were all pretty much winners, home runs. And I think that act that acted as the platform to to give us confidence that this could be a lot bigger. And then when we went to new markets and it worked there, then, you know, I think you just start getting these data points, these signals that, that, this could be this could be a real brand, and uh, and then you know ultimately, and uh, you know we were able to to achieve that. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's amazing how many over the over the I don't know last ten years and talking to different founders along the way, how their third store is always the one that that tips them to scale. It's it's super yeah. interesting why it's the third one, but um it seems to be the one that sort of just proves out the. So as you were saying, you were talking about the three the three unit sort of equation. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right, mm. and I, I've I've I don't have the data, but like from my observations and my gut, I've been telling people about this for a number of years about the risks at the, at the three level, the three unit inflection point. Mm. First, the first is your best. It's the it's the one your passion project where you give it all you got. Yep. You're so curated, you're so detailed. You're in there so all the time, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even if operations are not great, the owner's in there all the time. Sole mm -hmm. priority, sole focus, great. Mm -hmm. but you're not tired, you're energised the whole time. Then you do your second one and your second one's pretty good. It's mm -hmm. pretty good. It, mm -hmm. it makes money, you're encouraged, but you don't, 
necessarily put in as much effort as your first because the second you sort of know what to do and yeah. you know it's just not that unbridled enthusiasm and just focus particularly if you do them close together right which a lot yes agreed you don't sort of love it as much as your first there's a weird way that you like you do but you you kind of feel like you know the first one's always going to be the one you really really identify with the most i think and and it's it's not your sort of first one. It's not your first baby. You yes. know, you sort of know what to expect, and then yes. and then you're just more relieved that it works. Yes. Rather than at the first, you're just like, I hope it works, but if it doesn't, it's okay. Not fatal. Mm-hmm. Second, you're like, yeah, it really needs to work because I probably borrowed more money, and you know, I probably mm-hmm. extended, did a bigger store, you know, spent more money. That's typically. And then the third store. It's the inflection point mm-hmm. because the third store, what normally happens is the second store starts going backwards, Yep. not hitting the trajectory you had for it. Mm-hmm. It probably stays flat, not growing like you hope, like the first one did. You know, year two grows 30%. Suddenly year two is only growing 10. You're like, what's yeah. going on? What? Mm. And then the first store, your baby, your, your, the castle, starts going backwards or yes. starts slowing mm-hmm. and then you got the third store you start panicking about the second you mm-hmm. start really panicking about, about the first, the first. You go mm-hmm. back and start spending time in the first and the second mm-hmm. and the third store doesn't make it <laughs> that's what i keep seeing over and over and over again in hospitality because i think people underestimate the complexity of hospitality yes i'm a complete I'm a, i was a complete novice right mm. Now I've learned a bit after opening, uh, you know, fifty-five locations in a roastery and a bakery. But mm. I'm still learning. I'm still I'm still early at the at the at the game. But mm. what I have certainly observed is the complexity of hospitality is so much greater than your perception before you jump into the industry. Yeah, I think. The barriers of entry are low and, and it's quite a linear thing. You know, I've got an idea. I want to, I want to sell tacos. Okay. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you have a taco store? Well, I know I've got to get tortilla. I know I've got to get, you know, ground beef. I know I've got to get lettuce, tomatoes, I've got cheese. Okay. Then I, I serve them this way. I can price it that way. It costs me two bucks. All right, I'll sell it for eight dollars. And then I go and get a real estate. And then, you know, I know what the real estate and I sort of know it. It's like quite iterative. You can put it in front of each other. It's just not that level of like really sophisticated IQ. Yes. That's because everything in hospitality is about EQ and EQ is so much more complicated because you're dealing with humans that are not sort of robotic, uh, programmed, emotional. They're multifaceted. They're, They're brilliant. They're energizing. It can be very disappointing and very challenging. Yeah. But um, that is what I see that you underestimate the complexity of hospitality because of the varied nature of um, how challenging execution is uh, at scale and how challenging execution is to do it consistently at a premium level. Um, so that's the three story. That's the three store rule. I do subscribe to that. I have cool. told a lot of people that over a number of years, and I'm, you you're go. the first person. You're the first person who's come to me and said the third store. The third store either makes you gives you a chance to really grow because you yep. learn so much and you understand you have systems that enable you to scale and manage manage the business, mm-hmm. build a brand, or 
it's, it's the tipping point where suddenly the third fails, puts the second at risk, and then you know you hang on to the first. So mm. yeah, it's it's. I, it's I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're on board with my thinking, Nick. That's good. Uh, the only reason I say it is because <laughs> is because um, I only got to two stores when I was a franchise partner, and I remember yeah. that, um, uh, and I couldn't get to a third, and I and I um, saw so many people in the franchise network in that point in my twenties that would get to three, and that would be the one that either they they lost everything or then they scaled to five and six, and yeah. I used to work for Grilled for. Uh, um, in their early stages of development, so when they had about ten or twelve locations, and then when I left yeah. six years later, love, 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 amazing, amazing culture, amazing brand. And I remember yeah. that I remember that Simon um, said to us collectively that if it wasn't for his third store, then there probably wouldn't be a brand. And um, you know, it's it's something I've heard you know anecdotally for for a long time now. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, they're they're an amazing business. Uh, I know Simon. I know Aaron. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely incredible. Uh, they're one of the brands I talk about nonstop, and uh, what they've achieved. Uh, it's it's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. They've sort of taken like a burger concept, US burger concept, mm. reshaped it, the Aussie market, and scaled and done so well. But we're sort of the other. The other side take something from Australia and introduce it into the US and and try and grow grow a authentic sort of Australian proposition here in the US. So yeah, interesting. It, it's it's really interesting with with good hospitality brands, and I'm sure that you would see this as well. It's never usually about the product. It's usually about the connection of the staff, the connection with the customer, and the and the service offering, and the product just has have to be the. The thing that you know that binds it all together to make the transaction. So uh, grilled is definitely a brand like that. So it's great. Yeah, so services, services, everything. Uh, I wanted with Bluestone to be service led. There yes. are other premium coffee brands that are product led. I just thought that it's it's actually like it's not that hard to you know, sort of master the product. Like mm. there are a lot of talented baristas, and you can you can get a lot of really good specialty beans, but the human connection, the service element, very hard to disintermediate. And if you can do it, ingrain it as part of your culture, then yes, you'll be able to scale um, because that's the that's the the variable that's hard, the hardest to control, and mm. that's the all that's the upside uh, and the potential, and that's also the thing that that destroys everything. You know, if you're rude and you have People that aren't bought in and uh, can't execute because they don't feel aligned or inspired or passionate, you know, you, you can lose your business like that. You have some rude customer engagements and it's game over. But, uh, yeah, you're, I think you're right. And, and that is what is going to provide the biggest challenge with dealing with COVID, particularly yes. in the US, mm. because COVID is about disintermediating human connection Absolutely. Through social distancing and focusing mm. everything on fulfillment and convenience and really being product led, which is very, very sad yes. and very challenging for my brand and ton millions of others out there. And uh, you know, that's the adaptation phase we're in right now into preparing and operating in the new normal which is which is going to be very very different is that is that probably your biggest concern coming out of this nick is that i i sort of thought 
I knew there was going to be a uh, there was going to be something that was going to blow apart the the hospitality industry. There's been, there's probably been an oversupply in a lot of different markets for a long time, and a lot of people yeah. have been able to get away with okay vanilla kind of concepts um, for a long period of time, just because it's been a good economy. And obviously, um, before COVID, you know, nearly three percent unemployment in America. Um, yeah. So my theory was when when it did hit, you'd see the value proposition stay. So the low end of the market, the fast food, the just over fast food and the, the high end stay in the middle, unless they really knew their product and their brand would, would really struggle because people would, would much more think about the value proposition moving forward. Um, obviously, you have an amazing value pro- proposition in Bluestone and what you're doing with 55, 56 locations. What, what's your biggest concern moving forward out of this? Is it, is it that the service element might be gone for another six months in America? It's a fascinating question. Uh, it, it's a hard one to know, but my I've been sitting quite observantly looking and reading as much as I possibly can and talking to my team about what mm. they think and mm. making adjustments really, really quickly because there's no downside, right? Our revenue fell 90% in one week. So, like, you know, you, you can try anything now because it couldn't get any worse, couldn't get any lower, you know. Yes. 40, yeah. of, 40 of my locations... 52 right now are closed so now's the time to accelerate that uh rapid prototyping and 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 uh pivoting so i would say your assumption around um over capacity and and too much competition is accurate you know i think there was a lot of capital flowing around and Mm. people were getting ideas that went went that great maybe would work in a boom economy which we had unemployment at levels of three percent, it's beyond full employment. It was, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. Like mm. just to get staff, stuff, turnover and retention was was very, very challenging. Um, lease rates and like that's one of the biggest differentials between the US. I think the big tier one cities in the US, like how much you pay per square meter or in the US per, 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 per square foot is mm. like three to five X, you know. Wow. Yeah, prime right. mm-hmm. um and you know as a part of your cost base it's a lot higher you know typically occupancy you you target for sub 10 but a lot of people are running at 15 to 20 percent of sales wow occupancy yeah right so you know we try and keep labor to you know 25 to 30 percent closer to probably 30 i know in australia you know they, they target sort of 28 to 33 34 because the award's so much higher but Mm. You know, your rent might only be five percent. Mm. So, um, you know, I think for I think the middle definitely gets squeezed. I think I think high end fine dining, uh, which typically you think it, it bifurcates. You've got fast casual, quick serve that really fast scale process, convenience driven, primarily processed food as well that mm. that can travel. Not yep. particularly good for you, but you know, yes. consistent. Mm-hmm. And then you have high end. There's right now. I do not know how high end can survive. Mm. You, you, high end restaurants are based on they have so much operating leverage that they're like planes. You <laughs> cannot make money flying a plane unless yes. it's ninety percent full. Cool. Yeah. Restaurants are exactly restaurants are exactly the same thing. How do you make money if restaurants are restricted to fifty percent capacity? Mm. There's only so many roles you can eliminate. You're still going to need prep cook, sous chef, chef, 
uh, you know, host, barista, bartender, servers, runners. It's pretty hard to execute high end um, with with just oh, we just cut out the matrix e position, or we cut out the song position. Well, you yeah. know, yeah, but I don't know if it's high end anymore. And yeah, I don't exactly. Know if we can charge seventy dollars steaks anymore, or fifty bucks mm. steaks. So. Mm. I think that one's really, really sad. I think I think that's really hard. Um, we've seen it in Texas that they're allowing twenty five percent of tables. Wow. Uh, California, uh, they're they're it's meant to be around thirty three percent. New York, their thought is fifty percent. But right. as an example, in our locations, we measured out our ability to put tables out. Yes. We can't get fifty. We can't get fifty percent. Uh, because we wow. don't have enough space, our venues are too small. So, like realistically, we'll be working off thirty percent uh, because we can't maintain six feet from all of our tables. Because in New York, like a lot of people, have, you know, small space because it's so expensive, and you jam the tables in. It's part of the New York atmosphere, part of the culture. On, on yeah. top of each other, yes. and it brings the energy. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, like you have to think about ways in which you can get, you know, sell, provide a service and a product in a way that doesn't require people dining on premise. You know, you really orientated around delivery, curbside pickup, e-commerce, if you've got a product business, beans and granola and cheeses mm-hmm. like that, wine, ready to drink. But, yeah, shoes challenge. Is it is challenge. it is it probably a bigger challenge for you as well, Nicholas? I'm sure you've had to look at the brand over the last couple of weeks and say, okay, well, I'm a cafe, essentially, so I can do I can do pick up. My check isn't going to be as high because people aren't sitting in my venue anymore. So therefore, I've got to pivot to some sort of delivery option, which is a which is a you know a value add product in people's homes. Is it has that been? you know, a challenge for you to think about or is it beneficial now that you have a bakery and a roastery that you can do a couple more different things? Yeah, I, I, so we, when uh, the stay-at-home orders were put in place, what they call um, you know, shelter-at-home mm. and uh, trade was restricted and we weren't allowed any, well, we made the decision to not allow any customers or any locals in our venues uh, for safety reasons prior to them being restricted about one mm. to two weeks before. Um, so we moved exclusively to contactless yep. curbside pickup and delivery. Um, I'm so grateful that we invested a lot of time, a lot of money and energy into our pre-order system, loyalty program and an app. So it, it works brilliantly. It's been incredibly stable and we have all the data and it goes through our loyalty program so we can reward people. And that was Amazing. now an omni-channel. So mm-hmm. if you buy beans online, you know, you re- accumulate points that, and you also accumulate points dining with us. So there's a, there's a, there's a loop there that we're very excited to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one, I was so incredibly impressed with the team to execute this and pull it off in 12 hours and to set the whole stores up wow. curbside and have it, um, it done with, with safety at the heart and both our team and, and customers. And, um, you know, some of the volumes were okay. Nothing like they were, but, you know, some are 30% of sales, some are, you know, 
40%, some are, some are 20, right? Some mm. are terrible. But mm. it gave us enough, um, it gave us signs that we'll have something when we, when we, when, you know, the new normal really kicks in. And it gave us a lot of learnings. It gave us, um, it acted as a beacon of hope and normality for our locals who were tucked up in their apartment all day except for yeah. 15 minutes outside. It gave us uh, brand awareness and, and continuity and confidence to the external world that Bluestone's going to get through this mm. no matter how hard it is. Um, and it gave us purpose to be able to execute our Fuel for Heroes a charity initiative where we've donated 45,000 copies to healthcare heroes yeah, across 29 that. hospitals. Mm. Um, and you know, and it gave, and it preserved some jobs. You know, that was that was essential. We were trying to preserve as many positions as we could. Yeah, but it it was so hard. You know, if you lose forty cafes and you suddenly go from you know talking about losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a week, mm. Mm. you don't have much time to hope that uh, you know fall low or or put some work you know team without pay and mm. hope that it turns around. No state government or federal government gave us a guideline where they said yep by june you'll be reopened yes by may by september no one everyone just yes. said shut down good luck good luck yeah you know, and, and 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 you know they've, they've handled it as well as you know i think a lot of them handle it pretty well at the state level i don't you yeah. know i'm not going to talk about federal politics but uh, in the u.s but but you know like it was a it was a tough scenario but, you know, we, had, we still don't have any clarity. We know that, that in New York, for example, um, hospitality is part of phase three, which, which could be, it may never get to phase three. It could collapse at phase one if, if it doesn't hit its, all of its metrics, right? Wow. Okay. So, you know, that's pretty hard and it's pretty, it's pretty scary, you know, really, when you're like watching a ticking sort of clock to work out, what do I do? Like, you know, am I going to, have enough money to ever start again and when am I going to start again? Is it one month? Is it six months, 12 months? That, that ambiguity and uncertainty was, was very challenging. So we, we acted as well as we could, what we thought was the right thing to do, what we thought thing was right to do by the business and, and what we thought was the right thing to do by a team. And uh, so those that were um, made redundant, we were able to pay out their severance and benefits and sick mm. care so they could get money where, I said I can't guarantee it in a couple of months' time. You know, I'll, yeah, yeah. I, I could have nothing left, and uh, and all of this is predicated on pretty much not paying landlords. Yeah, you know? so yeah. it's it was a it was a t it's been a tough spot, but yeah, COVID COVID's going to be transformational, and I think one of the biggest one of the biggest sort of takeaways of the new normal is I think humans are going to are going to get used to different different ways of being served and mm. um, I think by behavior will dramatically change it's 60 days to have a new habit and yes. you forget about the old ones right mm -hmm. repetition mm -hmm. so if you operate this way for the next 12 months six months 12 months, 18 months I think that people are going to forget about certain ways that they used to get the coffee or burger or or you know and and that's that's a little bit that's that's a bit confronting but yeah, we'll iterate and everyone and humanity will prevail and there'll be great operators out there. Now on my side, years ago, it was different. Yeah. Very different. Do you, do you think it is a, do you, do you think that connection piece is a concern or do you think 
for such a purpose-led customer customer-led business like yourself it could actually be a blessing Nick, in the in the fact that when people are allowed to get to stage three and they're allowed to go into cafes and maybe sit you know six feet apart um but they're allowed to sit and then they get that amazing service from that staff member who stayed with you for three or four months because they're the best barista or they're the best front of house and you've looked after them during that period of time um do you think it could actually be a flip for the business and and allow you guys to to grow exponentially out of this crisis? I do think that there is potential for rapid growth when it stabilizes. Mm. I sort of see us a bit like an accordion. I think that our unit count in the short term could compress mm. because the economics don't work anymore and you know we need certain things to happen. It needs everyone to participate and share some of the pain. Yes. But then the ability to scale again, I think, could be quite attractive when you could have less competition, you have more uh, talent on the market, and uh, there could be a lot of sites that are that are vacant, and you really mm. can you can get good deals. But I also think that our model at scale has got to move and orientate a bit further towards the quick serve lens out of necessity um, mm -hmm. and uh, because you won't be able to operate the way you used to. So I think that there's like anything in life, I think you'll adapt and you'll find ways that will help you over the long run. And, yes. um, you know, labour, labour rates, management of wages, um, it was a big challenge for us. You know, it was the mm. biggest challenge to scaling and scaling successfully. Uh, some teams did it exceptionally. Some teams didn't. And that, that's a real risk when you're growing and trying to maintain a premium proposition. So with the new world, with a reduced labor model deliberately because of the need for less people to be in your venue, yeah, um, it does give me uh, encouragement that maybe the economics of the units on the over the long term, not in the short term, mm. could be more robust and you have a smaller team but a higher performing team. You know, yes. so that's mm -hmm. and and potentially a lot lower turnover, which is ex extremely expensive. You know, mm. turnover and the costs and the tra hiring and the onboarding and ducting training, you know, it's just it costs exponential. So like anything in life. You, if you if you go in with glass half full op, optimism, assuming good intent, having uh, being open for feedback and challenging your value proposition objectively all the time, you know I've got no doubt that there'll be silver linings and there'll be new businesses and business models that will emerge and do really really well in post COVID world. And I hope that Bluestone can implement some of those procedures that it, that gives us a, a, a really strong future yeah what do you think it's going to do to coffee at home do you see an opportunity there for bluestone to um to work in a sort of coffee at home kind of market the only reason i ask is that last week so i'm drinking a lot more at home where i might go out for one coffee a day from one of my local cafes um, where before where I was working in the city, I'd have two to three, right, in Melbourne, um, as you do when you're in Melbourne. And um, yeah, 
But what I noticed last week when I was at um, at the market and at one of my favourite cafes, uh, Market Lane, um, is that people were walking out with two or three bags of coffee, right? Now that's forty to fifty dollars a bag of coffee. What they, you know, what they what they generally charge. Like that's a lot of dollars. Like, do you think that? there is going to be a subset of this of this market which is going to be work from home um uh, maybe one to two days a week at least um uh ongoing which will want to have great quality coffee at home yeah i think coffee at the home is going to continue to grow yeah i do um i think that you're seeing a bit of a spike right now as a mm. as a you know overreaction when they start loosening some of the restrictions, I don't really think that coffee at home will remain so buoyant. Mm. But, I, you know, I think that there'll be growth. Absolutely. Do I think it'll be at the level that we've seen the last month or two months? No. Um, I think that people go get a good coffee uh, at, a, at an establishment because it's beyond the product, like you said. And even if the service proposition isn't as extensive, it's the ritual of going to get it that I think is really, really valuable and hard to underestimate. It's going with a friend or yourself and walking down and and mm-hmm. walking in and you're still going to get that recognition piece. You might not talk for, for 10 hours, but you may talk for a while at, at distance. Six feet's not that far away. Yeah. I still think that humans are social animals um, and will want to continue to socialise and have that human connection. I think there's no displacing the, the recognition and the, the intrinsic sort of reward, euphoria you get when someone knows your name, yeah. gives you a smile, makes you feel special. Mm. I think that's pretty hard to disintermediate. Mm. I don't think uh, at-home coffee gives you that. And I think, honestly, at-home coffee, depending on what you like, you know, it's it's pretty expensive proposition realistically mm. they run a pretty good program like you're going to need beans beans have to be pretty fresh you got yes. to dial your grinder every day yes. you got to have a pretty good machine you know like i've got a i'm i borrowed one of our events machines so at home i'm very fortunate to have a lama zocco uh linnea mini oh, wow. you know, and uh you know i'm making coffee in the morning it's great and i told i told my wife never never borrowed one before i thought mm. this is the perfect time we've got like six in la all sitting in a in a storage cupboard i'm like i'm bringing one home so i went and go and pick one up and we're loving it we're loving it you know and we never make coffee at home because we always go to bluestone and we have a bluestone yeah. close to where we live so but still dialing it in, in the morning it's like it's okay, but it's still like uh, you know mucking around, and it's not like just getting a local coffee, right? And you know, yeah. I don't profess to be an expert barista whatsoever. But is it like completely substituted out even during this environment where you're not meant to be going out much at all? No, it hasn't. So mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still a big believer, uh, you know. But you know, I think maybe it just leads to increased coffee consumption, full stop, both home. Mm. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, I see a lot of people going to our stores and ordering two coffees, not just one. Right. Getting a hot coffee and, t- t- and taking a cold coffee home because they won't come back to the cafe in the afternoon. They're going to be at home the whole time. Right. Okay. So what are they doing to that? Are they, what are they doing? Are they microwaving that coffee later on, do you think? Or what's happening? I, I think they, they drink the hot one first and they're drinking the cold one in the afternoon. So oh, they're they br- oh, sorry. Or, 
right. a cold yeah. brew, mm-hmm. taking it home, mm-hmm. and then pouring it over ice or drinking right. it, sipping it later. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, there's a lot of people ordering two coffees at once yeah. or buying one of our ready-to-drink coffees in packaged yeah. mm-hmm. and buying a flat white and then taking an RTD to drink in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah right. so that's that's a big thematic we're seeing. But um, that was emerging in before COVID, we could see that. We could see people coming to buy two coffees. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, because I think they weren't going out for the afternoon as prevalent, as sort of prevalently versus, mm. say, in Melbourne where everyone goes morning and afternoon pretty much, yes. right? You know? It's like a ritual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, mm-hmm. thank, thanks for your time today. My last, my last question too will be, like, what do you – if you can at the moment, I know you're just in a crisis and you're obviously dealing with the crisis. Are you, what are you looking to further from this? Because you've obviously built this brand, you know, um, quickly but smartly over the last, you know, seven years. Um, and you're obviously backed by RSC Ventures, which is doing amazing things with different great food brands um, across America. Are, are you thinking that you can exponentially grow this brand and, and even go worldwide into, you know, international airports and, and that kind of thing? Or are you solely focused on America at the moment? I think the potential is still there. I still think there's tremendous opportunities. I think by being a leading player in New York City, which is the world's truly international global city, yeah. gives you some structural advantages. But I'm also a realist that the next year, the year and a half, is going to be extraordinarily hard. Mm. Australia, you know, where you're talking to me from in Australia is like the best position globally. Yes. It's sort of like <laughs> I speak to my parents and friends and, yeah, there's been some a lot of inconvenience with prudence restrictions, but it's it hasn't been like the way it is in the US, you know, no. the multitude of infection and deaths. Mm. Yeah, so I think that we're in for a, a slow burn. It's going to be a bumpy ride. I think the fall is going to be really challenging. So do I believe that there's a lot of scalability? Absolutely. Do I believe you've got to be patient right now and sit and wait and see? Yes, I think that that's going to be very important not to rush in and be too aggressive because there's no guarantee the customer's ready for it mm. um, and there's no guarantee that in three, four, five months' time, they're going to give you another. Uh, they're going to make another announcement that you got to get back in home and you're not coming out again. And yeah. and that's a big concern I have about the fall. And we're gonna we're gonna learn. You know, we're gonna see how Australia uh, and some of the you know Southern Hemisphere countries adapt with the changing climate and the cold weather and what yes. it can actually do mm. um, when the actual flu and COVID at the same mm. time. Same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, it's listen. It's not all. It's not unfortunately. It's not all sort of rainbows and butterflies. But I am. I'm still a big believer. I'm a believer in the industry. I'm a believer in the role that hospitality and small business plays, being that tapestry, that culture, that vibrancy of suburbs. Mm-hmm. People must support local. They have to shop local. Mm. They have to tip well. They have to buy that extra coffee. Mm. Um, they have to, you know, get their hair cut more frequently. Uh, you know, they got to do whatever they can. Yeah. But um, you know, it's 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 
not we're not going to be through the woods for a while. And 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 you know, honestly, I think all parts of the value chain, from your suppliers through to your landlords, through to government, everyone needs to play their part and help each other because. Um, Otherwise, it's going to be t- a lot of proprietors are going to think there's not enough incentive for me to, and, and just too much risk and too much emotion to start again. Yeah. So everyone's got to look, got to be empathetic and support each other, and that's what I'm asking all of the, all of our partners, the the ones that we've gone from one store to now 55, and their business is growing with us. Yeah. I need them to, to to give me a lot of support in turn. Yeah. Good for you. Well done on the great work you're yeah. doing, Nick. Uh, what is the best way that people can find out about Bluestone Lane and what you guys are doing in the US? Certainly our website, bluestonelane.com, Instagram, Bluestone Lane. Uh, my sort of journey and insights and what I'm seeing in the industry, uh, my LinkedIn, uh, mm-hmm. you can find me, Nicholas Stone, Bluestone Lane. Um, you know, Instagram and, and our website is where we, we keep everything updated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've... To everyone out there, you know, I wish everyone uh, the best of health. Um, and, you know, there's a lot, you know, there is some solace in the fact that there's some people who are doing it a lot tougher than you, even if you're in a real predicament. Um, life will go on. Uh, you know, make sure you get energy from positive reinforcement and positive energy from your friends and family that are closest to. Mm-hmm. And um, hang in there. And if, uh, if I can help in any way, Drop me a, a message on LinkedIn. I'll try my best to get back to you as fast as I can. And, uh, you know, hang in there and, you know, we're all in it together, especially in the hospitality industry and, and small business. Yeah, I totally agree. Nicholas Stone from Bluestone Lane, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. so much for tuning in to another episode of the open pantry podcast i really appreciate you tuning in now remember at the start of this podcast i talk about the new sponsorship that we have from aquateca which is a world craft cider from the yarrow valley all the way here in victoria what they've offered to do is to actually give away a whole case of apple cider Right. So what you have to do is go into the bio of this podcast. You'll see it right down the bottom where you can send me a voice message. Really, really simple to do. Then just send me a voicemail message and tell me why you deserve to win this amazing case of cider. Okay. So obviously you have to be over 18 uh, and we want you to make sure that you're enjoying responsibly, but I think you're really going to enjoy this cider. But uh, thank you so much to the guys from Aquateca. Uh, This is just a fantastic cider, as I said at the start of this podcast. If you want to find out more about them, then just go to aquateca.com.au. You spell that A-R-Q-U-I-T-E-K-A. That's A-R-Q-U-I-T-E-K-A.com.au. And until next time, stay well. Um, so I think, I think restaurants now are like most of Mm -hmm. our restaurants are doing deliveries themselves, keeping their staff employed, keeping them in jobs. That's really cool. And that's Mm. exciting. Like that's exciting. Like if they, if their managers can't be front of house managers Mm. for the next six months, then, um, they're doing deliveries. They're still meeting their customers like with, with distance, but you can still see them. Mm -hmm. You can still wave to them. You can still say hi. 
um, and they're just yeah. meeting them it's at their homes cool now. So mm. I think, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't. I think the model now is the challenge for restaurateurs now is how do you use this opportunity to take control of your customers back mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. from those delivery apps how do you try how do you try and every time someone orders on delivery it's a delivery how do you try and get Mm -hmm. them to order directly from you next time um you know use a platform like misty um doesn't have to be misty um or they can even call you or they can dm Mm -hmm. you they can whatsapp you i don't like it doesn't matter um and find a way to build that relationship back with them again and when you Mm -hmm. reopen that customer is yours not an over eight's many log delivery customer. Um, and hopefully when you reopen, if they can't come into your restaurant, mm. they can still order direct from you. So I think it's a really good opportunity. And like people never used to have the time to do deliveries, right? Like they've never had the time to try and see if they yeah. can make a and delivery model work. Yeah, now they've got nothing but time. And they can, they can really see if it, um, if it can work and the operations around it and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's a... Um, it's a very, it's a very exciting time, you know. And they're yeah. doing it, and they're doing it well. Like they're do, like we've got, um, yeah. It's just exciting. Like he, there's lots of venues are doing deliveries themselves for the first time, and sometimes they'll mess it up. Like we get messages like, "Hey, like I ordered mm. an hour ago and I haven't heard back." Um, and but then you know the ironic thing is customers yeah. are so chill right now. Like we we call the venue and they're like oh my god give that person mm. a refund like we totally fucked up um and the mm-hmm. person's like this happened to us last night and the person was like no i don't want a refund like it's just fine. please I'm give happy me the food <laughs> she's like i just wanted to know if i could start cooking because i was getting a bit hungry oh i love it no. <laughs> we were like fair enough like fair enough you know um and she was like no 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 like i don't I, I, I'm happy to pay for yeah, it. I just right. wanted to know well, if it was going to show so up. <laughs> so mm. it's amazing at the moment. Like the, and I and 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 the cra- like mm. the the craziest thing is that that would have mm-hmm. never happened on Uber Eats delivery. They would have yeah, hit the refund absolutely. button and not yeah. even thought yeah. about it because the mm. relationship isn't with the venue. And customers don't realize that when you hit the yeah, refund button, yeah, that's exactly button, right. It's the restaurant for it again. Mm. They. They think they're like, oh my god, how good is it that you can just like get yep. anything refund or Uber yep. Eats? It's amazing. No, the venue pays. It's like for they it. don't yeah. pay for that. The restaurant pays for that. Yeah, and they I've, pay for all of that. I've seen that firsthand. It's and insane. It's just, you know, it's um, yeah, like franchises I've worked for before, and having two or three thousand dollars worth of um, orders a week, and then there's always like two three hundred dollars of things they have to try and get back from the other delivery platforms every Monday when they get their feet out. Like it's just. It's just a, it's just, like, so they'll, they'll get a feed. What out do you mean? Like they... And then they'll show all their refunds that were, were processed yeah. by a customer that they allowed to go through. And then they will have a conversation with Uber delivery, whoever to say, Hey, no, that, that order was right. That person's taking the Mickey or whatever. And, um, and try and get that money back. So they don't have to pay for it essentially out of what they, uh, what they would earn every week. So yeah, it's a, it's like a fight every Monday. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's um yeah. it's quite it's quite sad, very sad. Um, so I was going to ask you, like, I know that obviously we're talking about a business which is just over twelve months old. You've moved it, you know, so quickly into different, you know, different different um, regions that you probably weren't thinking twelve months ago. Like, is there anything <laughs> else you guys are planning at the moment, or are you just sort of 
holding and and just waiting because you seem to get over you seem to execute very quickly and then just be able to go oh okay, we've we got run with that for now. like yeah we've you know, got lots does of it mean you're gonna think of something else um it's a great time to try new things mm. because people like customers are willing to mm. um experiment with you because they're not doing anything else so we've got a lot of concepts True. that we're yep. um experimenting with like i I can't really, I don't know. Mm. I don't know which one will stick. Um, Say anything. But yeah, we, we're excited <laughs> yeah. about, um, we're not excited about like restaurants closing or the hurt, the hurt in the industry. Um, mm. But I, I do think that mm-hmm. this was coming anyway in a lot of ways and it just like, happened faster than what anyone would have expected. Um and I think that the restaurants and the cafes mm-hmm. and the pubs and the bars that emerge out of this will be far more defendable than they were before this. Because, like, they yeah. will have figured out other yeah, revenue totally streams. Agree. They'll have created retail products that they can sell. They will have bottled their best sources mm-hmm. so that they um, can sell them in the restaurant. Like, they will have created all of these revenue streams that they didn't have before that now become... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% of their their total revenue that they were completely reliant yeah. on dining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And they can, they can test things in real time to see if all those ideas they've had for three or four years that they've never had time or energy or money to, um, to actually execute, they can try it now and know that if it doesn't work now, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> so it's actually a really good testing ground for new ideas. Yeah, which, and customers yeah, are so like, said, which really like cool. so, so chill about it. Like we're doing, um, I've got a friend who runs mm. a mushroom protein company called Fable. Um, give them a little plug. They, nice. they are, mm-hmm. um, they're actually like, yes, yeah. <laughs> is right behind them. Uh, the fat duck uses it in wow. um, in the UK. They and they're they're organising mm-hmm. Australia's big night in, and they've got like a I don't know twenty mm. musicians lined up in this thing like Tash Latana, Julie Stone, like Hot Dub, um, Flight Facility. It's wow. just like these great artists. Um, the events and music industry is just as mm-hmm. like it's not more crushed to be honest than. Um, than hospitality like mm-hmm. we have uh adrian my partner he is um he has a music company called rogue and um music music was mm-hmm. super like messed up by napster and digitization of cds um and then the, the industry yeah. was completely reliant Absolutely. on gigs and performing and now they can't do that mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the music industry is actually in a far worse yeah. place than the hospitality, <laughs> like the food and bed industry, um, and musicians yeah. like aren't yeah. very good, t- like traditionally not very good at like saving their money, right? So like they were completely dependent on like cash flow and and gigs, and a lot of them didn't make that much money anyway. Mm. Um, and they're putting this kind of mm. like Australia's big night in together. There's going to be like a lineup of all these awesome musicians. Oh, cool. They've got restaurants in each city um doing like ham- like packages mm-hmm. they'll sell the, the tickets like the, the music tickets with the <laughs> food tickets and like yeah and um so we're gonna such a cool idea do some mm. of their online 
ordering stuff but like when would that ever have happened mm-hmm. like a bunch of random different mm-hmm. artists and random different brands decide to do this thing together and pull it off in two weeks like never never like who's got time yeah. for that it's unbelievable but, right i mean like yeah. not that we have a lot of time but like there's just a yeah. lot of excitement to try stuff at the moment yeah just see if it you know see if it works and if it you know even when everything does become somewhat normal whatever normal is then if that's five or ten percent of people's revenue moving forward then absolutely i think people i think restaurateurs Um, discovering um e-commerce is the the best thing to have happened mm, out of all of this because it just means like mm, scale it means you can mm -hmm. sell your products like anywhere like if you have this awesome pasta that you make or you've got this awesome like cook at home dish that you like why do you why are you limited to like the 5k radius around you so like e-commerce just allowed them to totally agree deliver or sell that anywhere in a city or in a country if they if it travels and that is like a an opportunity that you know little independent stores were given through shopify and ebay but i think Mm -hmm. good and bev hasn't had that um retail wave and i think now they will yeah yeah most definitely last um last question before i let you go and i appreciate you spending some time this afternoon is one thing i've noticed uh with yourself and adrian since um i met you guys early last year was just the positivity (laughs) that you guys consistently have and it's and it's not positivity or having to dig at other people like it's just positivity (laughs) for positivity state a sake and I know, I know your catch cry is, you know, how's my hand being can't do that at the moment. <laughs> and I've still, oh no, <laughs> I've never had, um, I've never had a situation in office where every single person in the office has actually wanted to hug me before I leave. And, um, and I'll never forget that. And, and it's just like, I've just always wondered since that moment, like, how do you guys remain so positive in a space in startup culture, which can be, um, quite challenging and, um, you know, it's hard to get new ideas out. It's hard to get things to market. You know, how do you guys remain <laughs> not... positive all the time? Well, the I'm definitely not positive all the time. Um, I think, like, <laughs> yeah, I think that would be, okay. we all get up, we all have our moment. Um, having each other mm. is like a huge, um, like you need people around. Like I feel like it's weird. It's, it's, it's you know what team dynamics are weird. I feel like if someone else isn't there hundred and ten percent, you feel like you can't be down. Isn't that weird? Like if someone, yeah, like, that's a good if point. Someone isn't, mm. um, you know, maybe having the best day, or they just had a really hard conversation. Mm. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. your natural reaction isn't to um, mirror their like feelings it's like your, your react yeah yeah so you just yeah. like take you responsibility bring for mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. not letting the small things mm-hmm. get in the way of reminding yourself that you're overall doing a pretty good job um i also think like you just do <laughs> things that you that allow like you that. to sleep at night right like i think we um mm. have a really like a really awesome team that just always have like they're just like incredibly conscious humans that um, will represent our brand like exactly the way we would have wanted our brand to be represented on every phone call and every email and every text message. And that takes a lot of weight Mm. off your shoulders. Like 
HR problems for founders yeah, is totally. the biggest problem and hardest problem to solve by far. Um, and now remotely, like you have no idea. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what our team is saying on the phone to like all of these restaurants and stuff, you know, like you can't hear them. You, you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. You don't know, like you, you have no idea, but you have to trust that they, yeah, you have to trust that there's, trust there's no reason mm. they wouldn't be like saying what you would want them to say or that like if they don't know something they're going to find out and they're going to get back to them really quickly like I think um maybe just like figuring out I think what we've done around positivity is like that try and remind ourselves that we're actually trying to help and that there's positive stories um everywhere and if you stay close to your customer like it's very very motivating it's not hard to be um it's not hard to be lifted up by like by other people's um stories right like you can yeah we've actually got yeah we're totally actually agree. just wrapping up now and uh, like amazing like video that our um talented content guy has put together like people try and he, he posts like mm -hmm. a video on linkedin and people try and poach him i'm like can you not i'm like can you I'm yeah like, his stuff's really not, good i was very you? excited when you <laughs> and, <laughs> I was almost thinking of poaching him, but I, I didn't like, even have no. any money to pay him. So I was like, like you I was are like, this is so off. cool. You're not having it. <laughs> I actually like um, some guy was yeah, there was like a LinkedIn person who was like trying to poach him. And then I think he tagged he 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 made a comment, he was like, Mama Bear's not happy and then like and then like tagged, tagged me in it. Um, and I was like, Yeah, nah, nah, just nah, it's not happening. Um but yeah, he, he he's put together like a thank you for supporting local video and it's about four or five minutes. Um, yeah, nice. He filmed, I think, like six or seven mm -hmm. uh, restaurateurs and cafe owners around Melbourne. And it is the best. It, it's like, it's cool. like, it's, yeah, I'll share it with you. I think it'll be done hopefully today. We've seen a few versions of it, but. Amazing. Yeah. Also, like investing in fun things like that, you know. Like, have some fun while mm, you're, of course, building your business. Like, you have to invest in some things that you think are a bit silly and a bit dumb, but like maybe they'll get you somewhere. Mm. Well, it's a good idea to energize your team as well as the industry mm. that you guys are supporting. So, it's an all-round win. Um, so that's a really cool thing. Um. Kim, what is the best way that people can find out about Mr. Yum? Um, probably the best way is to jump on our website to mryum.com. If you're um, a venue and you want to do some kind of online ordering, um, you can reach out to us on there. It's like a one-minute application form. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to reach out to me personally, cool. it's kim at mryum.com. Super easy. I'll put that in the link of the bio as always. Kim, CEO, Mr. Yum, amazing to have you. Thanks, Thank Sean. you so much for your time. Cool. Oh, Thanks, buddy. Seven minutes, my Appreciate God. I was like, talk. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it and got something out of it once again please make sure you leave me some feedback through that little link you'll see in the bio of this podcast and as always make sure you please subscribe and share if you think it's valuable to other people 
with inside the hospitality industry. I think they're really going to enjoy it and I hope you enjoy it as well. Until next time, please stay safe.